Hey, everyone. Welcome to Locked on Lakers for Monday. Brian Kamenetsky and Andy Kamenetsky. Andy, the Lakers hopefully have played their last game without Anthony Davis, uh, and you can see why. 113-107, to they lose on Sunday in Miami in a game that wasn't that close for about 75 or 80% of it. We'll talk about that and a lot more coming up next. You are Locked on Lakers. Your daily Los Angeles Lakers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Want to thank everybody for making Locked On Lakers your first listen of every day, Monday through Friday, sometimes on Saturdays and Sundays, even no matter where you find your podcasts, podcasts, how you get your podcasts. <laughs> Locked on Celtics all of a sudden. Seriously. Corrales guys pervasive um we we got this thing up early for you so uh you can you can get it and uh scratch that itch uh make another locked on podcast your second one how about locked on rams uh with, yes. uh, with our friend travis rogers just took that thing over uh nutty time to be a rams fan they are uh, undefeated in the new travis rogers locked on rams era so haven't there you lost go. a game undefeated nope. never lost um, so Anthony Davis, Andy was questionable. Unlike the Lakers, right? No, uh, often defeated, <laughs> often lost. Yeah. Um, Anthony Davis was upgraded to questionable uh, ahead of Sunday's game. Ultimately, did not play, but this is obviously a very good sign for them in terms of uh, getting Davis back. So we'll talk about AD and you know his impending return and what problems some of these things uh, you know the Lakers have that might get addressed just by his return. Um, we'll get to that. We'll get to some interesting perspective on what was wrong with the Lakers on Sunday in their 113 to 107 loss to Miami. But let me start here, Andy. How about this? Don't fall down by 14 in the first quarter to a good team at home, then 17 at the half, then more in the third quarter and expect to win. No yeah, they were hard down to try in the fourth quarter. How about they that were down for a diagnosis? They were down by 26 um, at their lowest point. And you can give some credit, and I think you should to the Lakers attitudinally, in the sense that it would have been extremely easy to just fold it up and, and to just really check out, particularly when they played the first half of this game, seeming like they were checked out anyway. I mean, they're. Yep. The attention to detail, you could say, particularly defensively, but frankly on both sides of the ball, was god-awful disgusting. I mean, there, there were times you were watching them making rotations, not making rotations, certain decisions on double teams that I'm like, dude, I know that I don't know the game like an NBA player, but I'm sitting there watching this going, I know what you're doing is wrong. Like, I can look at this and say, what decisions just went there in terms of deciding to like triple team some guy who's not a threat in the post, leaving two wide open shooters, like I can tell you, you're not supposed to do that. Here, here's the thing, though. There was just strange decisions no, you're right. being made it, it, in the first he, half. Vogel talked about this after the game, and I think there's a lot of truth to it in terms of. I don't. I'm not calling into question the idea that they did not pay close enough attention to detail, but like it, it's what this was is something that tells me where they are as a team and like how good they are, or in this particular case, how ordinary they are. Go back to the Orlando game. The Magic don't do anything that is particularly complicated, particularly complex, 
uh, other teams that they've played where they just <laughs> other than try to play basketball. Right. I mean, it's it's hard for them. It's complex <laughs> for them. <laughs> I was going to say, man, relative they... <laughs> to the rest of the league, it is not. It is they, <laughs> they are playing checkers. Whereas other teams in the league are playing chess. Dude, and they're playing Candyland. <laughs> they're not even at checkers. And they're playing it the way my, my kid plays it. Like when he was little, he cheats. Just yeah. moves his you know gumdrop mountain. Here we go. Um, so there are times against these ordinary teams with ordinary offenses or even bad offenses where the Lakers still don't look like they understand everything from a principal standpoint that they're supposed to be doing. As Vogel said after the game, the Miami Heat are much more of a graduate level yeah. Class. Like, you know, you get up against the heat. They are constantly moving. They always make the right pass. They always make the right cut. They do everything with precision. They are extremely well coached. They have a system. They have a whole ethos. They've got the whole Miami Heat thing going on. And that exposes some of the problems that the Lakers have. So it's like some of it, yes. It's a, you know, like, their deficiencies are going to be amplified against a team like Miami because Miami will exploit every single one of their mistakes. So you get to, everything is laid bare. And to me, it's one of those things where not only do they have the requisite amount of, of hop in their steps, so to speak, they weren't on their games. They played a bad game by their standards against a good team, which leads to you being down by 26 at one point. Yeah, there were just, there were so many times just watching them again, especially especially defensively, where I mean there was there was one point in the first quarter because the Miami scored thirty nine in the first quarter. Yes, that's very and, good. And they had they had put up something like like twenty something already in the paint and like fifteen from behind the arc. So they had not only scored like thirty nine points, like they had managed to do this in the most like analytics friendly, you know, ideal way that you would look to score and also just indicated how little the Lakers were guarding basically anywhere on the court that matters. And yeah. you know, they, they it wasn't it wasn't like they were setting up shop in the paint either in terms of uh the the scores that they had at the rim. I mean, these were just back cuts and these were points off turnovers. Obviously, we've seen this movie before with the Lakers. But there, there were a lot of times again where Miami was just getting this stuff. They, they made the Lakers made Dwayne Dedman look like Hakeem Olajuwon in the first half of this game. He had he had like seven points in three or four minutes. And, he, he played and, eight know. minutes. He finished with nine points. It yeah. But they, that 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 gets to what I'm talking about. Let's just they are so much more precise, precise and ahead of the Lakers who are still figuring out what kind of you know this is. And we'll we'll get to some of this stuff over the course of the show in terms of. How you defend with Dwight? How you defend when you go small? And I'd like when they, they went in the second half, got very switchy against the Magic, and it, it was very helpful. But part of the part of the reason that is helpful is it cuts down on your decision making. Just switch, switch everything, and you know you don't have to. Am I going above, below? Switch, and you know they started getting into some of that in, in this game as well. Didn't always work, but I. How much, Craig? You you mentioned that you and I, I we didn't get back. I just want to get back to it because. You you mentioned that you give them some credit attitudinally for not packing it up in the fourth quarter. They they got to within four, yes, um, and you know they won the fourth quarter by thirteen. How much credit do you give them? How much optimism or whatever? Go where you will. How much do you do you take from that fourth quarter comeback? 
I mean, I'm going to give them credit because I think they worked hard to get to that point. I mean, however much you think Miami let off the gas or whatever, the bottom line is the Lakers worked for it. And, you know, they started playing legitimately better in in that fourth quarter. So I I want to give them credit for doing that. How much do I think it moves? How much do I think it matters moving forward? Hell, if I know, man. I mean, like, why? Well, it's why would so much, but like, I do. You, why would I possibly make a prediction? Like, even team? just in the sense of like, do you really think? Because I, the reason I ask is because I, generally speaking, do not give a lot of credit to comebacks that happen in part because one team is up by so bleeping much that they stop playing. You know, and and Spo pulled Jimmy Butler. He pulled sure. starters like. And then, you know, Butler's got to come back in the game. But anytime you got to take guys that were out and put them back in, like, you know, you are, you're behind the eight ball there and you're kind of trying to regenerate sure. the energy and all that. This to me felt like a game where if the Lakers were down by 14 and just being kind of controlled and not blown up, blown out, I should say, I don't think they get within eight. Maybe. I mean, but the quarter. flip side is if they played like they did in the fourth quarter, the first three quarters, it's a completely different game. I that mean, like, I, I I, don't, uh, you know, the, uh, Avery, I think Avery Bradley, it was either Avery Bradley or Russ after the game said that if they played like they did in the fourth quarter of the entire game, they win the game. I don't know if that's true or not, but I absolutely believe if they played like they did in the fourth quarter, where regardless of what Miami was doing, they were playing more crisp. They were playing with more purpose. It's a different game. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not going to say that they win it. But I, I think they deserve credit for playing better in the fourth quarter. The flip side, though, is it for, at the your, very least for not giving up on the game, right? For not giving up on the game, and I think actually playing better. The flip side, though, it raises the question of the hell, man, for the first three quarters. Yeah, uh, like I said, I just think that they were getting spanked by a better team, and part of the reason they looked so much better in the fourth quarter is the better team stopped playing and stopped playing their better players. So, Maybe. but mean, anyway, let's let's talk about that effort versus because the, the the question of effort versus execution was a theme in in the post-game press conferences with a lot of players, uh, and certainly Frank Vogel. And it was something that, that kind of caught both of our attention in different ways. We'll get to that and uh, some Anthony Davis stuff next. Locked on Lakers brought to you by Truebill. Do you know why free trials renew without your consent? It's a business scam out to get you. So don't let greedy corporations pocket your money. Download Truebill to take control of your subscriptions. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or just forgot about. On average, people save up to 720 bucks a year with Truebill. Companies intentionally make subscriptions hard to cancel. Again, greedy corporations. But Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel the unwanted subscriptions in one tap. Truebill has over 2 million users and has helped them save collectively over $100 million. So don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. Go right now, Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. could save you thousands a year. Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. Locked on Lakers also brought to you by Built Bar. Uh, and it's the new year, and that means New Year's resolutions. Let's say you made one about getting fit. A lot of people do that. I did not. Mine was about getting less fit because I am so fit already. I need to slack off so I can get more fit again. Um, you can be more and, relatable. Yes. I mean, I, I am a person of the people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so once I get to that point where I'm sufficiently out of shape and I got to get back into it, 
that's when I'm going to include Bill Parr in my book. <laughs> it's a long way to go to arrive here. <laughs> it's the protein bar, Andy, that tastes like a candy bar. And even better than a candy bar, it makes you stick to that New Year's resolution, again, if you're not like me, uh, because it tastes so good, you'll want to eat it, unlike other protein bars, which can be chalky or waxy or taste like a chemical spill. I don't, you should, no, you shouldn't be eating those either. Um, you want to eat healthy. It can get boring. Week three, you're thinking, where's my chocolate? Well, Bilt Bars are covered in chocolate, 100% real chocolate. Most of them contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. So you can go and get yourself yoked. Yeah, you like, look like a rock. That's right. It's <laughs> uh, <laughs> like 45 pounds of cod a day. <laughs> really? I read somewhere that he eats like insane amount of protein. That in particular, I think it, like cod is his big one. I'll, I'll look huh. it up. Keep talking. I like cod. I do too. Uh, right. Even if you're not a fan of working out, though, at least you can eat something, snack on something that tastes good. Because remember, Andy, functionally, weight loss is is it's not even always about exercise. Calories in, calories out. And if you can get a great snack with good stuff in it for 130 calories, you do it. All the flavors to choose from: coconut, almond, cookies and cream, salted caramel, mint brownie, and so on and so on. Go to built.com. Use the promo code LOCK15 and get 15% off your order. Use the promo code again, LOCK15, for 15% off at built.com. I was correct, by the way. I just Googled uh, uh, The Rock, uh, Dwayne Johnson, and Cod, and an article <laughs> came up from the Food Network. Uh, have you ever asked yourself, self, what does Dwayne The Rock Johnson eat every day? Now you have your answer, courtesy of Muscle and Fitness Magazine, Cod. Lots of cod, really just staggering amounts of cod. Johnson eats 10 ounces of cod along with two whole eggs and two cups of oatmeal for his first meal of the day. Follows that up with eight ounces of cod along with 12 ounces of sweet potato, one cup of veggies as a second meal of the day. For the third meal, the actor, producer, and pro wrestler skips the fish, scarfing down eight, scarfing down eight ounces of chicken, two cups of white rice, cup of uh, vegetables, but makes up for it all at meal four where he supplements eight ounces of cod and two <laughs> cups of rice. It's like a hobbit. He has like first yes. breakfast, second breakfast. The fifth meal... Uh, is steak Fifth meal <laughs> yes <laughs> but meal six 10 ounces of cod <laughs> what seventh this? meal seventh meal, of meal? The day. he go, goes up to 30 grams of protein with an 10 egg white omelet 10 egg whites three cups of fish at the uh, risk of veggies and then a tablespoon of omega-3 fish oil cod probably at the risk mm -hmm. i have two questions here at the risk of of too much here with all that protein, when does he poop? <laughs> I feel like you get really stopped up if you're not careful. In between workouts. Must be. Second question, what if this isn't about protein intake or getting yoked? What if he just hates cod and is trying to wipe cod off the face of the planet by eating them? It's an interesting way to do it. Just wondering. Um, it's a lot of cod. It's a lot of cod. It's, it's um, a hell of a It's a grudge. lot of cod. Yeah, it, it is. is. <laughs> um. So, no, you can't question The Rock's uh, effort or execution when it comes to cod eating, Andy. Mm -hmm. But you can question it when it comes to the Lakers and how they play basketball. Um, it was interesting to hear guys talk about it after the game. Avery Bradley talked, you know, certainly about effort and execution, um, said that they don't seem to be learning from their mistakes, um, which seemed at the very least to surprise him because they're, they're a veteran-laden team. Russ as he often does, talked about effort and said, we just didn't play, we got to play harder, got to, you know, whatever, as, which is generally his answer to a lot of things. And LeBron talked about execution. So we thought we played hard enough, we didn't execute. It's always interesting to me to hear guys talk about 
that stuff and like how which thing they go to how they define effort what they look at with execution obviously multiple things can be happening at once but i know bradley's comments for example stuck out to you yeah i mean it's interesting to me just because i've noted a few times over the course of this season that for a veteran team you know i don't think this team always plays very smart and whether you should or should not expect basketball intelligence from a veteran team, that is the broad assumption, just Correct. because with experience, you are theoretically supposed to be gaining wisdom. And, you know, for example, I, Russell Westbrook is a very intelligent person. I want to make sure it's clear when I say this. Um, I don't think he always plays smart or as smart as he could. You know, he's obviously somebody who sees the floor and all that stuff, but he has a very hard charging approach to the game that at times I think leads to mistakes that are at best avoidable, at worst, sometimes just dumb mistakes. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, th this team as a whole does not play as smart, I think, on the court as, say, we saw from the Lakers two years ago, the season where they won a championship, where they had a lot of veterans on that team too. And that yep. happened to be a collection of very smart veteran players and Avery Bradley, for example, regardless of how effective you think he is as a player, and he's somebody that elicits opinions that swing all over the spectrum, I consider Avery Bradley a smart player. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I am not surprised that it's something that he would point out. I'm not surprised that he would find this kind of inexplicable because it's something that I'm sure frustrates him as a player. Yeah, because – and it's also, too, it's like this is part of like what keeps him in the league. Like he is a – he said, my job, he said this, I reiterated again, my job is, you know, everybody needs to understand their role. Like Malik goes out and scores and, you know, my job is to, you know, Carmelo's going to get shots and, and so on and so forth. My job is to go out and play really hard uh, at the point of attack defensively. Like I'm, I'm that is my job, Be, you know, a, a, you know, go out, play hard on the perimeter and really hew to the game plan. And so I think that's part of why the coaching staff likes him. It's why his peers like him is, but that is what is, is keeping him in the league. So you know, it's it feels like a natural thing. I think guys often look at sort of the prism of themselves or through the prism of themselves to diagnose these team problems. And everybody can be correct, but I, it's it it means something to me. I was just thinking about this today that Russ always goes to effort because that is kind of who he is. He th there isn't a a a challenge in basketball that Westbrook, at least on the offensive side of things, doesn't think that he can overcome just by rushing harder. You know, mm -hmm. like the effort and like the just I'm going to play harder. I'm going to play with more drive and more force than anybody else on the court, and that is going to be what you know sustains me, sustains my team, and leads us to success. And you know, it's hard to argue. In the aggregate, the guy is one of the 75 greatest players of all time. The former MVP. Yes. I mean, been he's, a, a he's been attached to a lot of winning, actually. Even though he doesn't have a championship, he's been attached to a lot of winning over the course of his career. And he's a remarkable, he's had a remarkable career. But I also think that that is like when people look at Russ, it's like, why is it so hard for him to do X, Y, Z? Because this is who he is. Like, I know he's not. I'm. I'm sure he. There are things with execution we can execute better. He's not a. Like you say, he is not a, a dumb guy. You can't be as good as he is as a point guard over the course of his career. Not understand game plans and X's and O's and the nuances of it. But fundamentally, he is about if I do this harder, 
that will fix the problem. LeBron, and I understand there are politics here too. He can't just come out and say, we don't play as hard. He's also not working as hard defensively as he was before. Set all that aside for a second, just for the sake. LeBron, I think is- Why do you think really quickly LeBron can't say they're not playing as hard? Because just because the minute he goes to we're we are as a team we're not playing hard guys aren't playing hard, I think he it, it sounds different coming from he's alluded to it differently different different times, but I don't th- I think he's trying not to make headlines, and okay. we are not playing hard is a headline and it's a headline to get his coach fired, um so I think okay he's ca- I see I think what he's you're careful saying. I think he's careful okay. with that okay, but I also think he is naturally somebody who's like okay. Tactically, what did we do? Strategically, executing, what did we do? Did we execute because did we not execute because guys weren't trying hard enough? Maybe. Did we execute because somebody was had his head turned the wrong way and fundamentally he should have had his? I think he is more inclined to see the strategy and tactics and the execution of a game plan as the yes or no, be, you know, with effort and all of that stuff thrown in. It's not absolute black and white. And you know, I, I just it's it, that's what stuck out to me after this because when guys point to effort, that can be a problem. Execution can be a problem. Sometimes one influences the other, but I just I, I feel like they're all in this place where they're looking for the kind of the thing that can bring it back together. Like, what is the missing ingredient? And the answer is obviously all of it, which is why they're so flipping average. Well, you know, it's interesting during this game, Brian, like the first half in particular, they were so God awful in their execution. (laughs) I mean, like staggering. It was terrible. It was really terrible. It was actually difficult to gauge, to even gauge how much of that was even connected to effort because, because it was so abysmal because there, there have been times as you know, I've harped this season a lot on. I don't think this team plays as hard no regularly as they should, and they have too, and with cause. Sure, right. And, but I'm just saying it's been it's been a big pet talking point for me in particular. This game, though, and, and a lot of times I think you can tell. I think sometimes you know we we covered, for yeah. example, like the era of the kids, and those guys execution wise often lacked a lot because they were still learning how to play. But generally speaking, those guys played. Really hard. Lonzo, Brandon Ingram, Kuzma, Hart, Julius Randle. They, yeah, they played, sucked, but they played right, hard. They played very hard a, as a group. And I think generally speaking, you can spot effort even from a TV set. This game, though, they were they were so, again, staggeringly incompetent that, that at times I couldn't even tell. Like, okay, is that missed rotation, that, that late arrival to the spot, is that an effort thing? Is that a head up your ass thing? Like, I mean, it was. Well, this is but this is, was, this is kind of what I was getting at at the beginning at the beginning of the show. When you are playing a team that is doing those things much better than you, when you are being executed, <laughs> sort of being executed, uh, out executed by a team that just does it better, you look a step slow because you are confused. You move. You literally do do things slower. Because you find yourself suddenly either in the wrong spot, or you're confused, or you have to hesitate because you're like, "Wait, what?" And you're you're all you just you're you're off balance, and that I think happened to them because Miami was so much better. And combine that with the fact that they just weren't playing well, which is going to happen to every team. Um, and I and I think you get to that place where efforts is can be blended with execution, can be blended with all these other things. Like there's just, you know, they, they are 
extraordinary at a lot of things. Right the other now. thing that uh, Avery Bradley thought said that I thought was really interesting before we get to the break was the idea that this team doesn't learn from its mistakes, which I think is extremely true. But it's the first time I've actually heard somebody phrase it like that. And again, yeah. this gets this gets back to this gets back to one of those things that as a veteran team, you would expect, you know, even if you don't play smartly all the time as you would expect from a veteran team, that you could at least like start figuring out, okay, um, you know, yeah, this maybe. Is but I mean, it's just again, yeah, it depends on your veterans. If you have guys who, you know, throughout their careers make the same mistakes over and over again, it's actually harder to learn from your mistakes than it than than it is otherwise. You know, I mean, if you, you know, if you have guys who are accustomed to making mistakes or doing things in a certain way or whatever it might be, then I'm not I am not as surprised by that. But, you know, it's it depends on your veterans. You I oh. agree with you, you'd think they'd be better at it, but right. that doesn't necessarily mean that they will. Um, it is very frustrating, I'm sure, yeah. for somebody like Bradley, though. Yeah. Um, let's get to AD because AD and his return, which certainly should be soon, if not, you know, uh, in the next game the Lakers play, that's Brooklyn on Tuesday, correct, Andy? Yes. Um, in theory, this changes a lot of stuff. Obviously, his impending return was the subject of a lot of conversation after the game, but it also straightens out a few things that theoretically uh, the Lakers won't have to answer anymore, and we'll talk about that next. Locked on Lakers brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline wants to wish you a happy new betting year. As we continue the march to the playoffs and beyond, BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action in 2022. It's a new year and a new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today. Receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code Locked On to get started from football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers. Bet online, the fastest, easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Bet online where the games start. So as we mentioned, Andy, Anthony Davis was listed as questionable, upgraded to questionable ahead of Sunday's game in Miami. He ultimately did not play, but that certainly um, is a good sign going forward to Brooklyn and then to Thursday in Philly. Um, one of the things that I think obviously is critically important here is just getting the talent back. You know, Anthony Davis is Anthony Davis, and if he can move and play and do it, in theory, he brings more balance to the offense, more dynamic you know, scoring opportunities to the offense can help with the defense and all that stuff. But at the very least, what he's going to hopefully solve is this sort of ongoing on offgoing. Is this a Dwight game? Is Dwight going to start? Are they going to go big? Are they going to go small? How are we doing this tonight? Um, whether that's coming from Frank, whether that's coming from the front office or whatever, they get in that way and so many other ways, so much more clarity when Davis is back in the lineup. It's really important that it happens quickly. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know if a game like Philadelphia they have on Thursday with Joel Embiid affects what they do with the starting lineup. You know, if if AD, if say that's his first game back, I don't know if they have any hesitation. Yeah, maybe in his first game you you don't throw him out there against Embiid, but... Yeah, with like that type of... I, I don't know. I mean, cause, because in theory, a guy like Joel Embiid might be the exception that proves the rule where you start somebody like Dwight anyway just in terms of trying to manage Anthony Davis's foul count or physicality or whatever. But broadly speaking, yes, 100%. Anthony Davis will start at center and LeBron James will be the backup center and yes, that's Le how it's going to go. And Dwight yeah, Frank will Vogel mix and match. 
Frank Vogel has already confirmed that the plan is for those guys to be the primary centers. Dwight Howard would be thrown in there, I think, on a case-by-case, need-by-need basis. And DeAndre Jordan is in there if everything falls apart. <laughs> like I think that's pretty much the way things are going to work Something has right gone now. horribly right or horribly wrong. Yeah, I mean, it just it gives them a legitimate back line for longer stretches of a game because, you know, we, we saw this against Miami, for example, like the stretches where LeBron was playing center, and, and this was not a game where Dwight played a lot. It's not a great matchup for Dwight in terms of the four fives that Miami has. But like the, there were a lot of times in the second half of the game, for example, particularly in the fourth quarter, where LeBron was guarding either Duncan Robinson or P.J. Tucker. And those are both guys that will pull LeBron from the basket. Mm-hmm. And when that was happening, there was no back line whatsoever. And there really wasn't anybody else that you could reasonably put LeBron on that, that would have made that much of a difference. Um, they, you know, they, they need more back line possibilities. Another thing that I think Anthony Davis's return is going to potentially address, hopefully for the best, Trevor Rees has become unplayable. He has... This game particularly in Miami, and and Vogel talked afterwards about how they are giving him run right now in the hopes that he will eventually get his legs back under him. He will eventually discover a rhythm. Vogel acknowledged that this has been a struggle. We both really like Trevor a lot as a person. You know, we have a lot of admiration for his career, you know, as a second round pick that everybody thought came out way too early from UCLA. And both Can't of us play. had some hopes that he could be situationally helpful for this team. Can't play him. He's unplayable right now. Can't play him. I mean, he every single time he gets fed, I'm sure this is in the scouting report right now, when he gets fed the ball at the top of the arc, he is going to do a nine-minute pump fake and then try to drive to the basket. And he turned the ball over a couple times, whether on a travel or on a pass. Four turnovers on Sunday. He does in not. 50, in 15 minutes. And, he does not look to shoot at all. Nope. Unless it's, it unless just, it's a corner three or something like that. Nope. And not going to def- happen. And defensively, he is just getting blown past. He, he's working. He is trying. But you can't play him right now. But you need to right now because of their lacking size. Yeah. And so, I mean, in, in the, you go down the line. It puts people in order. You know, you talk about defensively. You end up with fewer... You know, we're going small because we need to, and that's our best lineup, but it leaves Carmelo Anthony on Bam Adebayo. Like, just stuff that you, you you know, and you end up then having to double, and it just, you know, they got to get Davis back. But let me tell you what kind of worries me. Like, we've been doing this dance for long. We'll talk about this, I think, more on Tuesday as well. Of, like, well, when Anthony Davis comes back, we'll... We'll, we'll know like we, they'll have a chance and like you know you've seen the numbers when davis plays with westbrook and they're without dj and there's some there's some sense of optimism i'm not talking tuesday if he plays tuesday or thursday if he suits up thursday but like you know by the end of the road trip when you got 20 games 25 games left you know a week and a half from now whatever it is we're gonna find out the answer to all those questions and it's like if they still can't look like a much better team in like two weeks, yeah, it's cone of shame time, and it's not going to get better. Like we officially have reached a part where we all have to uh, kind of acknowledge the elephant in the room and just say it's not going to work. And I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying that, it, <laughs> not saying that it can't. And I, I am optimistic that it will, and I really want it to because, man, I you know I want a I want a good 
stretch run and a good playoff series and all the I want him go I want this team to do well. I want our show to do well too. Um I just but like this is it. Like we're getting near that point where we can no longer say, yeah, but Anthony Davis isn't there and sort of this will all change when Anthony Davis is back. Well, I mean, it obviously beats the alternative. Yeah. You may no, get, no, no question. You may get it's an answer. Scary. You may get an answer that you don't like, but you know, nobody likes the current answer as it is. So there is only there is really only a chance that you're going to like it more. I don't think it's really <laughs> going to get worse. That's yeah, true. I don't think it's really possible to like what is going on less. It's also, though, I think good to get an idea of what they look like just because, you know, it's debatable what they would look to do at the trade deadline. It's debatable what they can do at the trade deadline. Mm -hmm. But what would be very disturbing to me would be if they tried to really just throw good money after bad with this season and say included a first that first round pick in what is it 2027 2028 yep, like for for something that really is not going to make this team any better like for example you know like the Lakers have been linked loosely to Eric Gordon like the idea of you know I've been asked before on Twitter at Cam Brothers would you trade the first round pick for Eric Gordon the no. answer is absolutely no. not no. Not not in a million years would not I gonna do make that. enough of a difference. Or you know the the rumors connecting Russell Westbrook and and John Wall, uh, you know, getting traded for each other again. But uh, but you have to Rocket, throw that pick in, right? Right? Hell no, hell no. That I think that's a terrible idea. Anyway, we, we should talk. We'll, we'll we'll break down a lot of these deals this week because really it's not even so much about the players, but the the stunning stunning meaning of trades like this that I think are particularly fascinating. We'll definitely get into that this week. But but I mean, I think that would be a mistake anyway. But what I really don't want them to do is make that mistake having not even seen what it looks like with Davis. Yeah, they are lucky in the sense that they get, they should have him back for five or six games before February 10th when the, the deadline. Um, all right, so plenty to talk about this week. Obviously a huge game Tuesday night in Brooklyn in terms of... Uh, um, attention although Kyrie won't be there Kevin Durant is out uh, it's still Lakers versus Nets um and uh yeah so we'll uh, plenty to get into with that plenty of uh, stuff as the trade deadline creeps closer as Andy mentions thanks again for making Locked on Lakers your first listen of every day make another Locked on podcast your second listen and of course subscribe to Locked on Lakers on YouTube see everybody Tuesday